grateful to be able to uh, be uh, with you today and glad that we're able to worship together today. Um, I know that uh, the uh, the aroma in here is <laughs> is quite offensive. Uh, I apologize, but I didn't have anything to do with it. I am glad that it was done this week. They had originally scheduled to do it the week of the 18th, uh, which means uh, still lingering heavy. Uh, by the time we get into uh, Christmas um, morning and gather back here, uh, so hopefully uh, uh, some of the scent will be gone. Uh, but uh, I would agree with Alina, uh, and this is no reflection on uh, anybody with anything, but uh, it always seems to be the cleanest <laughs> right after they have finished the floors. It just looks clean, so uh, I'm grateful for that. I want us before uh, we uh, look into uh, our text for today uh, to pray for uh, Quincy Corbett, if you will, write his name down. Uh, heavy pen, Quincy Corbett. Uh, Quincy is a friend of ours, uh, was an inmate for a long time over in the um, Pender Correctional Facility, uh, was transferred about uh, two years ago, year and a half, two years ago. Uh, his mother passed away this past week. Um, and for those who have walked through seasons of grief uh, with uh, parents and people that you love pass away, uh, the, the thought of not being able to be with them in the end, not being able to attend their funeral, um, it's got to be particularly heavy and hard. Uh, he's a brother in Christ. Uh, we pray for him even if he wasn't, but he is a dear brother in Christ. Uh, someone we know and love and care for. So if you will, let's just pause for just a minute and lift uh, Quincy before the Lord uh, and ask for comfort for him. Let's pray. Father, you know the heaviness of Quincy's heart. Uh, you know the sadness that has come to him in being separated from his family for all of these years. You also know, Father, the way that you have loved him and that you have come to him and that he knows you and he is your son. So, Father, it's not hard for us to come and ask if you will just comfort your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you have your copies of Scripture, if you'll turn to John's Gospel, chapter 3, John chapter 3. You're making your way there uh, just in the way of a few uh, kind of introductory remarks today. Um, today is our first Sunday of our Advent series. Um, it'll be a journey for us over the course of this week and the next uh, four weeks, uh, beginning today and ending on January the 1st as we gather here on New Year's Day. Uh, what do we mean when we talk about Advent? Well, we, when we refer to Advent, we're referring to, and this has already been referred to, by the way, uh, the first coming of the Lord Jesus, the incarnation of the second person of the triune Godhead, where Jesus Christ uh, left heaven, became flesh, and as John says, dwelt among us. I was thinking about that this week. John stated that because that was his own personal experience. Uh, he was born during Jesus' 
lifetime. Think about that for just a minute. He was born during Jesus' lifetime and was blessed by God's providence to know Him, to be taught by Him, to witness His earthly ministry, to watch Him as He was crucified. And then He had the great privilege to be in His presence after He was resurrected. Think about that for a moment. Now, while we didn't have uh, the same experience as John, it's no less true that Christ's coming is personal for every person. From Adam to the last man and woman that will ever be born, whoever they may be, Christ, the eternal Son of God, took on flesh and personally participated in humanity. Think about that. And as the author of Hebrews stated it, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise took on the same things. That is, he took on flesh and blood. And the author goes on to share with us why. And this is important because it relates to the word children. Since the children were flesh and blood, he took on that flesh and blood. We'll see the significance of this word, children. The children that God has given His Son. Isaiah 53 said it this way, He, meaning Christ, the suffering servant, shall see His offspring. Now, of course, Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, revealed this in the context of the suffering servant's resurrection. Though he doesn't say that he's going to be resurrected, he didn't use that word. He was prophesying about Christ's days after his gruesome death. The death that he characterized as a lamb being led to the slaughter. Remember that. Not a pretty picture. Lamb being led to the slaughter. And then he said, and we will consider this in a moment. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So the author of Hebrews tells us that he took on flesh, that he might be tempted in every way as humans are, that he might do what his offspring were unable to do. That is, to face temptation and not sin, and to be obedient all the way to death, to defeat death by dying, And then to intercede for all eternity for who? His children. His children. So how does that help us begin? Well, it presses us to ask why. Why the incarnation? So each week, beginning today, and we will look at this all the way through till January the 1st, we will consider the advent, listen, as God's response to the things he loves most. God's response to the things he loves most. Uh, Now, let me say, we'll not be trying to complete a comprehensive list of all these things. Okay? So, if we did, we'd go on and on and on. But certainly, while we can't know everything, there are some things that are crystal clear in Scripture that we can know. And those things, the things that God desires, the things that He loves, we want to look at because Advent is His response to those things. 
So today we'll give our attention to Advent, God's loving response to His Son. And in the next Lord's Day, it'll be God's loving response to His Word. And then on December the 18th, God's loving response for justice. On Christmas Day, we'll give our attention to God's loving response for peace. And then on New Year's Day, we'll think together about God's loving response to His world. This world, His world. So we are there. Let's read John chapter 3. And I want us to back up and begin in verse 22, even though our, uh, even though our worship guides say 31. After this, and after Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, and you can read the first part of that in chapter 3, where Jesus and Nicodemus uh, have a conversation where Jesus points him to the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And after this, Jesus and His disciples went into the Judean countryside and He remained there with them and was baptizing. John, speaking of John the Baptist, John also was baptizing at Aenon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples uh, and a Jew over purification. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, uh, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase but I must decrease. And then verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he's seen and heard, yet no one receives the testimony. Whoever receives this testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And we just read that the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. R.C. Sproul, in his commentary on John, wrote this, The whole of Scripture speaks to us of the love of God for His people. And we often talk about that, about how He loves His people, how He loves us. 
But so often we fix our attention on God's love for us that we forget that the ground of that love is the love the Father has from eternity for His Son. Remember, we were not the natural children of God. We were not. We are the adopted children of God. And even our election must always be understood to be in the Son. Now John points us to this fact. We just read it. A fact that we often miss. The Father loved the Son. The truth is, there's really no greater love than the love that the Father has for His Son. And when I say has for His Son, we're speaking specifically of Jesus Christ. And we hear about it in John's Gospel, and we hear about it in the other Gospels, but often we just kind of brush past it. But even in John's Gospel, most of the time it is not commentary that we're hearing. This, to some degree, as we read here, was commentary. We don't know if it was John the Baptist who was saying this, or if it was the disciple of John who was saying that the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. But we do hear repeatedly in John's Gospel, Jesus saying that the Father loves the Son. Listen to it just a minute. John chapter 5 and verse 20, For the Father, Jesus said, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. In John 10, 17, Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me. What reason is that? He goes on to say, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. We've been through John's gospel together. We understand the context of that when Jesus was talking about himself being the good shepherd. In John 17, 24, we hear Jesus say, Father, I desire that you also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. I want you to think about this. An eternal love before the foundation of the world. And in the other gospel writers, we hear at least on two different occasions recorded where Jesus at his baptism and transfiguration heard thundering from heaven, mind you, this is my beloved Son. The foundation of the Advent is the sending of the Son of God penetrating humanity at its very base level, and that is in the flesh. And what is foundational to that is, is that it is driven by the love the Father has for His Son. Now remember, this is coming after Jesus has told Nicodemus that, that God loves the world. But then we hear that God the Father loves His Son. It's a mystery in many ways. But it is not hidden. That is, God for all of time and eternity planned and purposed the sending of Christ Jesus into the world in the flesh to redeem a people that He would call His own. It is a mystery, but it is crystal clear from the pages of Scripture. 
And these people would be the offspring of Christ. What does that mean? Well, they would be his children in a sense. Knowing, and we're going to look at this in just a minute, knowing that as we are speaking of his children, we are not calling him father, but we are calling him brother. So how significant is that? It is significant enough to know that whenever John, in the very beginning of the gospel of John, says that he was in the beginning, that he created, that there was nothing, there is nothing that exists that apart from him, and then he says that he is from eternity past, and he is every bit God. Yeah? His children. They would be the adopted sons and daughters of the one true God. So if you're here today and you've trusted Christ, then you can call God, Yahweh, Father. And you can call Christ Jesus, His Son, Brother and Savior. And all of those things are true. All of them are true. Because we if we have trusted Christ, are the adopted sons and daughters of God. Joint heirs with His Son. And listen to this. With all the rights and privileges of heaven. Think about that for a moment. All the rights and privileges of heaven and the very presence of God. John tells us at least three things here in this text that I believe that are important for us and I want us to look at them and we'll look at them briefly. Number one, God the Father loves His Son and takes pleasure in Him. Look there in verse 35 again. The Father loves the Son. Seems kind of odd to be put in there. Okay? What have we already heard? Well, that this one, and, and mind you, this is being offset. John the Baptist has just said that he must increase and I must decrease. John the Baptist has said, I have told you that I am not the Christ. John the Baptist has said, I am not the bridegroom. I am not him. He says, I have told you that. So who is the bridegroom? He who comes from above is above all. This is being juxtaposed, okay, against John the Baptist. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. So John the Baptist is of the earth, speaks in an earthly way. It doesn't mean that God has not spoken through him. It just means that his words are coming from God and he is of the earth. And apart from God doing his work in John the Baptist, John the Baptist has, does not have the wherewithal to say or to do anything supernaturally. But the one who is from heaven does. The one from, who is from heaven is above all. That one from the earth is not above all. That's the point that is being made. And it's important for us to realize that. Because we are here in the Advent season, and we are not looking to just anyone. We're not talking about just anyone. We are talking about pointing people to worshiping the one 
who came from heaven. Now kind of get your mind around that for just a minute. That is what the incarnation is. God left his throne in heaven. And he comes and he takes on flesh. That's what Christmas is. Notice what else he says. He who comes from heaven is above all. He who comes from heaven is above all. So we hear that he is above all. And then he who comes from heaven again, he states it again, is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Pointing back now to the one who is not of this earth, but the one who is from heaven. He comes and he bears witness of what he has seen and heard. In other words, Christ comes to bear witness of heaven. He comes to bear witness of God. He comes to bear witness of Yahweh. He comes to bear witness of what it is that God loves most. That's the point. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. Why? Because he is God. And notice how he does that. For he gives the Spirit without measure. We're going to look at that in a moment. But then we hear, the Father loves the Son. He loves the Son. We just mentioned a little bit ago that the other gospel writers tell us of the Father speaking of His love for His Son. He does so at His baptism and transfiguration. Remember, Peter, James, and John went up on a high mountain with Jesus. We looked at it just a few weeks ago in Matthew 17. And when they were there alone with him, something astoundingly remarkable happened. God gave Jesus an appearance of glory. His face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And then in verse 5 of chapter 17 of Matthew, we read that the bright cloud overshadowed them, and God spoke from the cloud, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then He says this, Listen to Him. Listen to Him. In that moment, God gave the disciples a brief glimpse of the true heavenly glory of Jesus. A glory He possessed in heaven, and a glory that He still possessed though it was veiled in his humanity. This is what Peter was referring to when he wrote, Christ received honor and glory from God the Father. And then God revealed his heart for his Son, and he said those two things, I love my Son, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In other words, I love my Son, and I take pleasure in my son i love him and i take pleasure in him isaiah writes in reference to uh, the christ who is to come and says behold my servant upon whom he says behold my servant whom i uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. I want you to hear over and over again, God loves his son. And he takes pleasure in his son. 
when God looks at Jesus, He enjoys Him, He admires Him, He loves Him as He loves Himself because there is no one greater to love or to cherish. Why is that important? Well, just look at what He says back in verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. Then He goes on to say, He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what He has seen and heard. He bears witness of the Father. Why? Because He, Jesus Christ, is every bit God. So when the Father loves His Son, He is loving Himself. Because He is loving the One who is God. He's loving the One who deserves to be loved. So the first thing that we see John say is God the Father loves the Son. And I'm reminded that Jonathan Edwards and others, but they point to this, have noted, and I want you to catch this, this is not with any self-denying sacrificial mercy. That's not the kind of love. When, when God loves us, it is a a sacrificial kind of love. It is a merciful love toward us. Because we don't deserve to be loved. He graciously loves us. But He doesn't love Christ in that way. He loves Christ in the way that we should love God. He loves Christ in that way because there is no one greater to love and to delight in. He says, I am well pleased with my son. His soul delights in the son. So when he looks at his son, he enjoys and admires and cherishes and prizes and relishes in him and in what he sees. Now what implication does that have for us here in this Advent season? We are celebrating the Incarnation. We're celebrating the fact that God loves His Son. And the Advent speaks to that. But there's a second thing that I think John teaches us here in this text. And look at it there in verse 34. For He whom God has sent utters the words of God. He utters the words of God. Why? For He has given the Spirit without measure. The love that the Father has for His Son is mutually embraced by the Holy Spirit. Hear that again. The love that the Father has for His Son is mutually embraced by the Holy Spirit. We don't speak of the Holy Spirit loving much, do we? In fact, seldom do we ever make the connection. We will say, Jesus loves me. We will say, the Father loves me. We will say, God loves me, or whoever it is. We seldom mention that the Holy Spirit loves as well. That the Holy Spirit supports and loves and undergirds everything in the Incarnation. It's important for us to realize that Jesus, though in the flesh, and having in humility set aside some of the unrecognizable features of glory was vested with the presence of the Holy Spirit. How? Well, we just read it. Without measure. 
Now you and I have been given, those of us who have trusted in Christ, we have been given the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. That was a, a promise of Christ. But He doesn't come without measure. It doesn't mean that we don't have the fullness of the Spirit. I prayed again this morning, God, fill me with Your Spirit. My life doesn't reflect that most of the time. But I pray for it and ask for that. But with Christ, He received the Spirit without measure. Be reminded that at His baptism, there was uh, at least some kind of physical presence that came upon him in the way of a dove. There was some kind of an understanding that we hear in the Gospels. We don't understand how this dove came upon him and represented the Holy Spirit. All we know is, is that the Holy Spirit descended upon him in his baptism. But it's more than that. Think about it with me for just a minute. Remember that his conception, we sang about it, we read about it earlier. Whenever we were reading Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 is our assurance of pardon. Remember that His conception, His birth, even His growth were works that were brought about by the Holy Spirit. We read in Luke's Gospel, when the angel is speaking to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. We read in Isaiah that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is given in full measure to him. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is resonating with who he is. The Son of God. The second person of the triune Godhead. This isn't meant to be heady. This is every bit relational and helps us see and understand the significance of the advent and the work of God in and through it. But not only was the Holy Spirit at work in His conception and His birth and His growth, but He was also present to empower Him and hold Him up in periods of temptation. We pointed back to Hebrews earlier. He became flesh and blood to be like His children, to be like His offspring. To do what? To be tempted in every way like they were tempted, yet without sin. How was that possible? You just write it off and say, oh, He was just God. Don't say He was just God. Everything that the Father and the Son and the Spirit had planned in their triunity is being carried out and manifest here in the Advent as Christ comes. Remember the Holy Spirit led Him into the wilderness to be tempted. It was in the power of the Spirit that He preached and taught and healed. Jesus' ministry is seen as He by the Spirit proclaims the good news to the poor. We, we sang earlier this morning, Come ye poor, the needy, the helpless. How is that possible? Because the Spirit of God worked in Christ to preach and proclaim the good news to the poor. Liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed, and the year of the Lord's favor. 
And then we heard Jesus testify when we were looking in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 28. By the Spirit of God, I cast out demons. Don't miss that. This isn't just God talk. By the Spirit of God, He cast out demons. By the Spirit of God, He was led to the cross. By the Spirit of God, He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, looking for strength to carry Him through to the end. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, Peter said as he preached in Acts 10. And then we hear from the author of Hebrews that Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God. And then in 1 Timothy 3.16, we hear, it was the Holy Spirit that vindicated Christ in the resurrection. It's the Holy Spirit whom He promised that He would give to who? His children. So it is the Father's love for His Son that is mutually shared by the Holy Spirit that works in every aspect of the incarnational work. That's huge. Don't miss that. Where we hear of God's love, we hear of Him giving His Son the Spirit without measure. Because God is up to something big. The third thing that I want us to see here in this text. It is because the Father loves His Son from eternity that He gives Him all things. Hear it again. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. It's not an uncommon thing for us to think that somehow or another the Advent, the Incarnation, the rejection and suffering of Christ are responses that God is giving to something. God's responding to. Reacting to something. And, and, and He is reacting to something. But it is not what we think. There's something foundational before we even begin to think about us. Even before we begin to think about the loss. Even though we looked at our assurance of pardon and it said that He was being sent to save His people from their sins. Is that the beginning of it? No, that's not the beginning of it. Is he, is he being sent because there is no other hope for humanity? Yes. And it's true. But that is not the beginning of it. You see, while it's not uncommon for us to think that way, it's easy for us to talk about it in that way because it's easier for us to explain the need of the Gospel. The need of His coming. Here's what John is telling us. The Father loved the Son so much. And remember, Jesus has already said, He loved me in eternity. 
The Father loved the Son so much that He wanted Him to have everything. That's God's purpose. I love Him so much, I want Him to have everything. And God giving Christ everything, though in one sense, may seem as a response to Christ's love for the Father and His obedience. It's more than that. I believe John is trying to help us to see God's plan for His Son to receive all that He purposed meant there had to be a creation. There had to be a fall. There had to be an advent. There had to be an incarnation. There must be His Son's death for sin that He never committed. There must be a resurrection. And there must be a return again. Why? John is trying to help us see because God purposed that there was to be an offspring and a children. There was to be an adopted family to glorify the Son, and in glorifying the Son, glorify the Father, because as Jesus said, I and the Father are what? One. I hope you get that. There was to be a kingdom. What Jesus did in coming, what God did in sending Him, what the Holy Spirit did in bringing about His conception and everything about Him was not an afterthought on the part of God. It was a clear and direct plan to ensure that the one the Father loves the most was to get everything. There was to be a kingdom. There was to be a ruling king with absolute authority. And this king was to be Jesus. Hear those words again. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. All things. All things. It's incredible to think about. The Advent. God's loving response to His and for His Son. We were challenged earlier in our confession and our assurance of pardon and it even began before then because when we looked at Psalm 2 the psalmist is writing and is pointing to who? to the son and what does he say? kiss the son 
worship the Son. Why? Because that is what God has purposed to happen. It's for the Son to be glorified. And the Son's position is that it would glorify the Father. And then we looked at our confession and our assurance and challenged to say, yeah, He is all of the things that Isaiah has said which would mean for me that I should bow before Him and worship Him. And yet, there are other things that I worship. There are other things that I worship. And we come to this place if God the Father loves His Son. Who then should we love? We should love Him as well. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful today that You put Your spotlight for us to see own the Son, Your Son, Your only begotten Son. And that because You loved Him and You wanted Him to have everything that in Your divine plan, this was the way that He would receive everything And at least part of that included his offspring. And Father, you have been gracious in calling out that offspring over the course of history. Those who would place their faith and trust in you. And we're here today in 2022 being reminded again that for those of us who have already trusted You, we are a part of that offspring and we have been adopted and we are part of that work that comes in Christ and under Christ for His glory and for Yours because You have planned it. And You have brought it about. And we are reminded here today, God, that there are those maybe even in this room, but certainly, Father, within a few thousand feet of this building, who have not yet acknowledged who You are, and have not yet realized that you have loved your Son and that He has come because you loved Him to receive and have everything. And that your intent is for us to worship Him. 
and in worshiping Him, worship you. It's mind-blowing, God. The magnitude of your grace and your love is far-stretching. And it encompasses us and gathers us up in you. Would you do that here today? Would you speak to the heart of the one who has not yet kissed the Son and draw him or her to say today, yes, God, you loved your Son and I want to love him as well. And it's only right that we come to you and offer this prayer in His name, Jesus Christ, who holds everything. Amen.